And please could you turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. It's on page 1186. And on your sheets, on your handouts, one of your handouts has got an outline of where we're going. Helpful for those who want to take notes. There's pencils at the uh, at the table there, or for people who want to uh, look and see how far we've got to go. Um, one thing I forgot to mention in the announcements just now is that uh, we've got these blue cards that you should find in your Bibles. If you're a visitor with us, it would be really helpful if you could uh, fill out those cards so that we know that you've been and we can be in contact with you uh, if we need to. Colossians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 7 to 18. The last part of Colossians. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in our hearts as we come to consider uh, the words that he inspired and to be written. And we pray that uh, you would be teaching us uh, and you would be ruling us um, by your spirit through your word as we uh, come to consider this, this passage today. So we ask for your strength, we ask for your help, uh, we ask that you would be at work among us. In Jesus' name, Amen. According to the font of all modern day knowledge, Wikipedia, it could be shared ignorance, couldn't it? According to Wikipedia, a team comprises a group of people linked with a common purpose. People in a team work together to achieve more than they could ever achieve by themselves. And we know what that's like, isn't it? We have teams at work, we have teams at sports, we have teams with various ministries. We often have the image of the Apostle Paul as being someone who's like a lone ranger apostle. Always works by himself and gets things done, but, but that's not actually true. The Apostle Paul had a team, and it's his team that we're meeting in our passage today. Last week we noted that not everyone was meant to serve God by giving up their jobs and following Paul around the Mediterranean. Uh, this week we're reminded that some people were. Uh, there were some people on the team who were meant to be there with him, uh, doing it side by side. Others were in the churches, supporting, encouraging, and praying for the work. Now, Paul considered the Colossian church to be part of his team, even though he hadn't been there. That's why he kept on communicating with them, because communication is really important for the team to function. And so he sent people to Colossae uh, to keep on updating them with, with how he was doing. So if you look in verse 8 of, uh, of Colossians 4, we see that he has sent Titicus to them for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Or he also said, oh, and he also sent Onesimus. And the end of verse nine, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So Paul was not only grateful for the people who were encouraging him, but he also made it a point of encouraging others. Encouraging his team. He communicates with the Colossians by sending them Tychicus. So they'd have news of him. 
that, that he is pressing on in faithfulness to Christ in spite of his chains. That he hasn't given up on Christ. That he's still on fire for Jesus in spite of the fact that he's in prison. And so they will be encouraged to press on as well. He communicates with his team and he knows the Colossians are part of it. Now, in this team, we know Paul's role. Paul was praying for them. In chapter 1, we saw that he hadn't stopped praying for them. They hadn't dropped off his prayer list. He sent messengers to him, to them, as we see in this passage. And, well, he's written a letter to them, hasn't he? And last week, we saw what they were doing. They were praying for Paul. They were to pray for Paul. And they were to seek to live and speak in a way that promoted the gospel in their situations. That was part of that. was their teamwork. Next, we have the two men who are being sent by Paul to Colossae with this letter. They are Tychicus and Onesimus. They are two other members of the team. Now, Tychicus we first met in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 was a few years beforehand. Paul was in Macedonia. And Acts 20 verse 4 lists a number of people who travelled with Paul, in this case just ahead of him. And one of the people on that list is Tychicus. Now, it says Tychicus was Asian. Right? That doesn't mean that he was you know, from India or China or Japan or Korea. It means he came from the area which is now called Turkey. It was called Asia Minor at that point. So Colossi is in the area. Probably he wasn't from Colossi. Or Paul would have mentioned it. Uh, but there he is. And what does Paul say about him in verse 7? Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. Beloved brother, faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. Isn't that a lovely way of describing someone? A beloved brother. Someone who knows God as Father, who is a son of God in Christ Jesus, who is a co-heir to all the blessings of Christ, who is loved by God and loved by you. Are you, are you a son or daughter of God? Have you have been adopted by him through Jesus? Does the spirit in your heart cry out to him as Abba, Father? The Bible tells us that those who believe in Jesus are children of God. There is no greater privilege in the world than knowing God as your Father. And friends, if you can call God your Father, then, then look around you. Because these are your brothers and sisters. Let's treat each other that way. Let's think of each other that way. Let's love each other that way. So all of us on the team here know what it means to be beloved as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus. Tychicus was a beloved brother. He was also a faithful minister. Now, the word translated minister there uh, simply means servant. Tychicus was a faithful servant of God. He's someone who did it. He served faithfully. Well, there are many ways he might have served, but we get some idea of how he serves in, in verse 7. He says, I will, he will tell you about my activities. He's a messenger that Paul sends. Or you look at other parts of the Bible, uh, or, or look at look at uh, look at verse eight. We saw that he was sent to encourage them, to give them information. That is, he was he was visiting Colossians on behalf of Paul, keeping them up to date with Paul's activities. 
He was a messenger in Paul's department of communication and encouragement. And we see that in other letters as well. Uh, in Ephesians, Paul says, So you may know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. In 1 Timothy, he says, Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. In, Tim- in Titus, he says, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, then blah, blah, blah. Right? So, Tychicus wasn't Paul. wasn't an apostle. But he was part of the team. And he did his job faithfully. You could count on him to fulfill his ministry. And to do it in a way that pleased God. And I hope that we can say that about each other. I hope all of us are reliable and complete the work that God gives us. I hope none of us are people who will look for positions and grab it for our own gain. The kind of thing you get in many churches. But rather that we be people who seek to be faithful. Uh, in what we can do and seek to serve. And I hope all of us will be faithful in the other sense as well. That is, that we will do it from the heart and trust God and obey Him and, and so that what we promote and what we teach is, is faithful. It is, it is God's truth, not, not, not something else. It's a great commendation that He is a faithful servant. And the third, the third description of Him at the end of verse 7 is as a fellow servant in the Lord, which is literally, literally translated as slave together or co-slave. Tychicus was a co-slave of Christ, together with Paul. Now, we know what a slave is, don't we? A slave is someone whose person, service, belong completely to their master. A slave is at the disposal of the person that he or she serves, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Tychicus and Paul and Timothy, they were slaves of Christ. They were totally at his disposal. Who they were, what they did, was all defined by their relationship with him. They belonged to him. And friends, that's us as well. We are co-slaves of Christ. We've been bought with a price. His, his own blood shed for us on the cross. He has redeemed us from slavery to sin, which would have resulted in death and hell. He's made us his slaves, which paradoxically gives us the freedom to be what we're really meant to be, which is his. We belong to him. And so we do not have an independent life. Who we are, and what we are, is defined by our relationship with the Master. Our identity comes from him. And, now, actually, to be a slave of someone else would usually be a pretty bad thing, wouldn't it? Something we try to avoid. But in God's economy, being a slave of Jesus is an incredible privilege. It's a high calling because of the greatness of our Master. It's a great honour to be a slave of Christ. Notice I did not say that we are slaves of the institutional church. We're not slaves of a human organisation. not slaves of the pastor or the bishop or some influential guru as in some cults. People never talked about Paul never talked about people in the church being his slaves. Rather, together, we are slaves of Christ. The fact that we are co-slaves of Christ, what does that mean for how we think, how we live? Well, for Paul, that meant that he was completely devoted to Christ. He was willing to suffer, he was going to, willing to go to prison for the sake of Christ. Because he knew who his boss was. This is what he said. 
And brothers and sisters, we have one master. We have one Lord, one King to obey. And we must be completely committed to him. Now, we must submit to him. Obey him. Be preoccupied about pleasing him. Now, for some people, we mean leaving our jobs to preach the gospel. Maybe some people will inspect this year will make the decision to leave their careers to serve the Master. For other people, we'll be serving him in our jobs, sharing the gospel where we can, supporting the work of ministry, living a life that pleases him among the unbelievers. Either way, the reason we do it is because we are convinced that the best way to serve him, given the gifts and the resources and the opportunities he's given us, is that way. So that whatever we do, in work, in ministry, in rest, in relaxation, we do it all as his slaves. We work in our companies, dependably and honestly, because we are first and foremost slaves of Christ. And that's what he wants us to do, if we're employees. We love and serve our families, because first of all, we are slaves of Christ, and that's what he wants us to do, if we have family responsibilities. We study faithfully in school, at college, university, because we are first and foremost slaves of Christ, and, and that's what he wants us to do if we're students. We are generous for the poor and needy because we are first and foremost slaves of Christ and, and that's what he wants us to do with our resources. We do whatever we can to promote the gospel with the gifts and resources God has given us because we are first and foremost slaves of Christ. And he wants us to do that because that is his main point at this point in the history of the world. And we rest and relax. We take time off. We watch TV because we are first and foremost slaves of Christ and we need to recharge our batteries in order to serve him. See, everything we do, we do because we are slaves of Christ. We've been given freedom to do what we want, as long as it expresses the Master's character, furthers the Master's agenda. We've been given responsibility for dividing up our time over the various tasks the Master's given us, that we will be accountable to him in the end. As slaves of Christ, we live our lives to serve him. And as co-slaves of Christ, then we do it together. We have no agenda of our own. We don't scheme to make our own names great. We do what we can to serve Jesus and to help each other to serve him. If you're a slave that works together with co-slaves, for the master is a good slave. That's what we want to be. Like Paul and Timothy and Tychicus, we belong to him. Tychicus was a beloved brother, faithful servant, and a co-slave in the Lord. Can people say the same thing about us? So the second person that Paul names here, Onesimus. Paul describes him as a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. One of you means one of the Colossians. And we know that from the letter to Philemon, which was sent together with this one, that this Onesimus is actually a runaway slave. A literal slave. He had been a slave in Philemon's house. He ran away, got converted, and was being sent back. Paul done the right thing. He sent Onesimus back to Philemon, but he also appealed to Philemon and in fact almost commanded him to release the man and give him his freedom. And to have him no longer as a slave, but a beloved brother. Isn't it amazing what the grace of God does? 
He's a slave, running away, looking for freedom, meets Jesus as the gospel proclaimed, finds his true freedom as a slave of Christ, and in obedience to Christ goes back to the master. He is a master, has lost a slave, would have been well within his rights to have him punished or killed, but who himself has experienced the grace of God and now of his own free will was going to release him and love him and enjoy a new fellowship with him as a brother. Think of the slave again. He's a fugitive. He's on the run. You know, if he goes around, he dare not reveal his identity, lest, lest he be caught. He's an outlaw, actually. And from an outlaw, now he's going to be a, well, he's a faithful and beloved brother. Friends, there are many people who become Christians from many different and difficult backgrounds. Uh, we've had people in our congregations who've been involved with drugs and gangs and crime before they met Christ. Doesn't let people's backgrounds from before they're converted stop us from accepting them as brothers and sisters. Doesn't judge people by how they were before the grace of God changed them. All of us lived to dishonor God before we came to Christ. We just did it in different ways. And all of us are now new creations in Christ. He's an isthmus. Fugitive to faithful brother. And then we have three Jewish men who send greetings. They are Aristarchus and Mark in verse 10, and Jesus called Justice in verse 11. The second half of verse 11 shows they're the only other Jews on the team at the time, uh, at least who were with Paul. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So what do we know about these guys? Well, now, if you'd been very sharp, you might have noticed Aristarchus' name on the list of Paul's traveling buddies of Acts 20, which we looked at earlier. Right? Which we met Tychicus and the line above, there was Aristarchus. And he was there a chapter earlier in Acts, where there was a big riot in Ephesus, because the Ephesian silversmith, silversmiths were feeling threatened by Paul's preaching. And so they started this big riot, and then uh, they, so they were enraged, they're crying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Artemis is, there, is the Ephesian god. And then it says the city was filled with confusion. They rushed together in the theatre and dragged with them Gaius and Aristarchus. Macedonians were Paul's companions in travel. So there is Aristarchus in the thick of a riot. And Paul is there on his journey to Rome to be tried, and guess who joins him on the ship? Well, there we go, Aristarchus. The Macedonian from Thessalonica. So we know he's a Macedonian, we know he's a Jew, and we know he's willing to be in the thick of it when Paul gets into trouble. He's in the thick of it in Ephesus, he's in the thick of it when Paul's on the ship to Rome, and he keeps on going. In Colossians, we also read something else about Aristarchus. Verse 10 it says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Aristarchus was in prison with Paul. Been through all kinds of hard times together and they were still together. They were in chains together. He was a team member not just for the good times uh, but for the hard times as well. 
He was someone who went through thick and thin with the Apostle Paul, even going to prison with him for the sake of the Gospel. You know, when you and I think about what we do for the sake of the Gospel, I suspect the things that we come up with are pretty small compared to this. Should we be willing to go to prison for Jesus? He died for you. Would you be willing, if necessary, to go to, to, to prison for him? Aristarchus was. You know, stick with a team through thick and thin. Aristarchus stuck with Jesus. He stuck with his servant Paul at the very end. The second of the Jews that was with Paul was, well, verse 10, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, Mark, many years beforehand, had deserted Paul and Barnabas. During the first missionary journey, he'd left them. As when it came to come on the next journey, well, Paul didn't want to take Mark along. So he's not reliable. And then Barnabas, no, no, let's give him a second chance. And they, Paul and Barnabas fight. And the Paul and Barnabas decide to part ways. Paul finds another right-hand man to Silas, while Barnabas takes Mark and goes off and preaches the gospel somewhere else. But here, at the end of his life, Mark is with Paul again. Things have been sorted out. Mark and Paul have been reconciled. And Paul tells the church about him, at the end of verse 10, if he comes to you, welcome him. And he's part of the team again. Are there relationships that need to be sorted out in the team? Don't forget to give team members a second chance, won't you? You're too quick to drop someone and condemn them. If you've left the, let the team down before, then show repentance. If you've been let down before, show grace. That's what happens with Mark. The third worker he mentions is someone with the same name as our Lord and so tended to use his nickname instead. Probably to avoid confusion. A guy called Justice. Don't know anything else about him. Except that like Mark and Aristarchus, he was a Jewish Christian who was of great comfort and encouragement to Paul. Sure, he did many things for the gospel, but these guys did, and these three guys. I mean, Mark even wrote a gospel that bears his name. But what they're talked about doing here is that they encouraged Paul. They helped him keep going. And if that's all they did, then that's a good thing, because that's part of the team. Then Paul talks about Epaphras. Epaphras was one of the Colossians. He'd been converted by Paul and sent back to Colossae, taking the gospel back to his hometown. Now back in chapter 1, verse 7, we read the Colossians had first been saved through his work. And now at the end of the letter, we hear about him again. Verse 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. How is he working hard? He was praying. He continued to work and struggle for these guys in prayer. I notice that prayer is hard work, isn't it? So much so, Paul calls it labor. It's important accompaniment to the preaching of God's word. Paul had written to the Colossians, and his letter, he says, look, 
warns them about the distractions to things that would distract them and take them away from Christ. He gave them the lay, he gave them the true path to Christian maturity. And then Epaphras labors and prays for the Colossians that they'll do that. It's a partnership. Sometimes it's hard work, but team members pray for each other. Two more members of the team are mentioned in verse 14. There's Luke, the beloved physician, and there's Demas. And we know that Luke traveled a lot with Paul because of Acts. Uh, Luke wrote Acts as part two to his gospel. And there are sections in Acts where he talks about we, we did this, we did that, we did this. Okay, so he's, he traveled together with Paul. Uh, Luke and Demas are listed together with Mark and Aristarchus as Paul's fellow workers in Philemon 24. But by the end of Paul's life, in 2 Timothy 4, he says that Luke alone is with him. That Demas has deserted him. Why? Now look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 10. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone on to Thessalonica. Isn't that sad? Here in Colossians, as part of the team, a few years later, he's gone. Friends, don't fall in love with the world, will you? Don't love this present age more than the next. Don't end up like Demas, who deserted Paul. Don't let down God's team. Paul then sends greetings to the church in the neighboring town, because they were part of the gospel work in the area. They were, they were part of the team, even though they were in a different place. Verse 15, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, and to Nympha, the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see you also read the letter from Laodicea. Right? The Colossians and Laodiceans will do a letter swap, and read each other's letters in church. And the letter of the Laodiceans is probably, the, is probably our Ephesians, right? because Ephesians seems to be a circular letter, seems to be fairly similar to Colossians, uh, probably written about the same time, and so it seems that most likely that this is what he's, what he's talking about. They read each other's letters because, well, they were partners together. They were a team. Now, reading letters in church, that's a really big thing. At first you think about it, hey, oh, no, no big deal, you know, read a letter in church. But remember what was read in church? It's the Holy Scriptures, isn't it? It was, the, it was the Old Testament that was being read. And now Paul is saying, my letters, you read them aloud in church as well. In other words, he's giving them the authority like the Old Testament. So they would have had their reading of the Old Testament and then they had their reading of the apostolic letters. And just what we do today, don't we? We read our Old Testament in church and then we read our New Testament in church. We hear God's voice in the ancient scriptures and in the apostolic writings. Just like the Colossians were told to do. And we do that because we are part of the same extended team. We too are hearing God's word from the Apostle and seeking to live it out in our lives. We too are being shaped and molded by the Spirit as he used the word he spoke through Paul. We too are involved in taking the Gospel out. Different place, different time. 
same motivation, same goal, same purpose, same letter. As people who are listening to and seeking to obey the teachings of the apostles, we are on the team. That is the, it's part of the great gospel team that, that plays from the time of the apostles until Jesus comes again. We've been handed on the, the gospel baton, as it were. And now we're the ones running with it. So we're in partnership, too, with Paul and Aristarchus and Mark and Luke and Tychicus and Athanasius and Augustine and Luther and Calvin and Cramner and Wesley and Edwards and, and all God's people to this day. We believe in the communion of saints. That's what we say. What is communion? Communion is partnership. The saints are God's people. We're on the team. We're partners together with those who have gone before and those who will come after. We are one team with one goal. To glorify God by making Jesus known. The last person we mentioned here, well, second last person really, is Archippus. The only other reference we have to him is Philemon 2, which means he probably lives in the household. But whatever it is, it's just one instruction to him. Verse 17. See that you fulfill the ministry you have received in the Lord. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Play your part on the team. I don't know if this is a positive encouragement say, do it. Or Paul is saying, mm, you're getting a bit slack, Archippus. Fulfill your ministry. But I wonder, is there a word in season for any one of us here? Do we need encouragement to say, look, God's given us a ministry, you've got to fulfill it. Is there some service in which we are slacking? Something that we should be doing for Christ that we are not? Fulfill your ministry. Take it seriously because you've received it from the Lord. And all this time, someone's been taking dictation for Paul. It's probably Timothy, because that came from both of them. But right at the end, Paul's take out a stylus and write a sentence in his own handwriting. Because he too is on the team. He's actually probably struggling to do this because he's chained, isn't he? He can just write a little bit. I, Paul, Write this greeting with my own hands. Remember my chains. Remember that I'm suffering for Jesus. And don't you give up. Press on. And Paul ends with a greeting the way he started with a greeting. Grace be with you. Because the team that we're in is a team that's assembled by God's grace. We don't deserve to be in it, but we are. It's a team that is motivated by God's grace. We live to say thank you to the God who saved us for the death of his son. And it's a team that will always be recipients of God's grace. When Christ appears, we will also appear with him in glory. And what a great team to be on. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the communion of saints. We thank you that we are in partnership with those who love you and those who belong to you right down through the ages. We thank you for Paul and his team, for the people that we read about who were faithful, who were willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Father, we pray that we in our time would be faithful as well. That we would discharge our ministries and responsibilities for you as your slaves and as co-slaves together. That we would live our lives to please you. That we would seek to promote the glory of the Lord Jesus until he returns. We thank you for our team. We pray that you help us to keep encouraging each other to press on. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.